Hope you enjoyed heat sleepers, breakouts, and busts on yesterday's show. Today we are bringing in Scott White and putting him on the spot. Scott White. And we are going to get his, yeah, that's funny, sleepers, that breakouts, funny. and busts. Thank I like you. that. Thank you. Welcome back, Scott. Good to be here. Good. And Chris is here, whatever, right? Kratom. I like that, I like that Scott's initial reaction while responding to you was to nod. <laughs> and then, like a half second later, he realized he needed to actually say something. <laughs> I, I wasn't on the podcast yesterday. I'm all out of practice. Rusty, rusty. Okay, so yeah. today, yes, yeah, sleepers, breakouts, and busts. An interesting Twitter poll. Drafting in deep leagues. Uh, Mets starting pitchers. A note on Blake Snell. A note on Joey Gallo. A note on Gregory Polanco. What uh, may be happening with the Dodgers catchers. An interesting quote from... Angels GM Billy Epler about spring training stats and specifically Blake Parker, who has been terrible in spring training, but he doesn't seem that worried. At least Billy Epler hasn't declared a closer yet. All right, so we'll catch up on everything there. But let's read an email first. Our email address is fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. And by the way, anticipating announcing our podcast league contestants tomorrow. So uh, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one is from Ash. My draft is this weekend. I have the second pick, and I'm debating strategy. I would like to take two pitchers with my first five picks. I have the second pick. I know I'm not going to get one of the super aces. So would you recommend taking one at the 2-3 turn, Bumgarner, Syndergaard, or Strasburg, along with, say, Donaldson and J.D. Martinez? Or should I take hitters with my first three picks and go for two of the Darvish, Verlander, Ray range with picks four and five? Hmm. Well... (laughs) Um, Whoa, what kind of noise was that? <laughs> Very interesting noise. Yeah, so well, I, I think yeah. I think probably the hitters makes more sense. Um, and and you know it doesn't have to be a situation where you could commit to two pitchers here and two pitchers there. You could maybe do one of each. But one thing I wrote about last week um, was just how yeah we talk about how there's a big drop off at starting pitcher, but there's a big drop off at hitter too at beyond the top. I think we set the line on an earlier podcast is around Brian Dozier. Um, and what happens after that is a lot of interchangeability between hitters. Really hard to differentiate yourself at any position. So while at starting pitcher, the drop-off is more about just not being good at the position, at hitter, it's not being good relative to your competition. So, like, I, I wouldn't want... Like, if if the pitchers are... If you're having a hard time deciding between the pitchers anyway, like go ahead and take advantage of the hitters before they drop off. So again, the question was, I have the second pick. I know I'm not getting a super ace. Should I take a, p- a pitcher at the 2-3 turn like Bumgarner, Syndergaard, or Strasburg and pair that pitcher with Donaldson or J.D. Martinez? Or should I take three hitters to start and select from the Darvish, Verlander, Robbie Ray range, take two of them with picks four and five? And Chris, I think what stands out is in in my drafts, I'm not sure Darvish and Verlander are available at the end of rounds four and five. Maybe this is a 10-team league. I'm not sure. That changes things. What would really change things for me is if we're talking about Carlos Martinez, Robbie Ray, and and um, Chris Archer at four and five, I'm much more likely to take a pitcher at the 2-3 turn. I, I just— but, but, but hold on, to finish my thought, if you think that you can get Verlander or— for me, I like Darvish a lot there, especially Verlander. Then it definitely mm. makes sense to wait. It's a matter of which of those pitchers will be there out of those top 16 or 17. I'd, Verlander will. Yeah, yeah that's I, right. But I think unlikely. two of them will. Like, there will be two good starting pitchers available there that who aren't 
that much worse than the guys you would get at the 2-3 turn, I would say. Whereas the hitters that will be available at the 4-5 turn will be significantly worse. Yeah, so what would you do? I, I personally, I would take Bumgarner and a pitcher and a hitter. Uh, Scott would, is leaning towards two hitters. Chris, how about uh, you? Three hitters, and uh, I would say Ash, you gotta catch them all. Catch them all? Okay, Scott, I'm sorry. I won't apologize. Did I, <laughs> did I speak for you, Scott? Out of turn? Um, no, I mean, I would, I think definitely with the second pick, I'd like, I'd like the hitter that was there and not see much difference between the pitchers that were there. Maybe with the third pick, I would take a pitcher if, um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a hitter who I liked who was filling a scarce position like a Sanchez or a Corey Seager. Like, I don't know that Josh Donaldson, well, maybe, I, I don't know. I, it, it I could see going either way, but definitely only one pitcher if you're going to take a pitcher at that two three turn. Okay. So let's let's talk about drafting in deep leagues for a little bit. We will get to Scott Sleeper's breakouts and busts, uh maybe after the twenty minute mark or so, but stay tuned. So what changes for you and, and I think deep leagues for me is anything more than twelve teams. Shallow leagues is ten or fewer. Normal league is twelve. That's kind of how we draft and what when we talk about ADP and rounds, we usually use twelve what teams. What about an eleven team? League? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like who why why do people play? I might get some people play in eleven team roto leagues, but it's I'm possible. not talking to you people. You guys are just weird. You just yeah, you're weird. We'll do a separate podcast for odd number leagues. But uh yeah, so what do you th- what changes for you when you're drafting in a fourteen team league or deeper? I don't go like Certainly in 10-team leagues, and to a certain extent 12-team leagues, especially the 12-team head-to-head leagues with the smaller roster size, I'm a little more invested in upside and dismissive of the players who I know don't have it but are just, you know, reliably competent, uh, like an Ian Kinsler, uh, for instance. But in th- when you get in the deeper leagues, those safe guys, I feel like, start to look a lot more interesting because things are going to go wrong with a lot of the upside players. And when they go wrong in a deeper league, there's really no recourse except to hopefully pull off a a trade where, you know, somebody else has excess and you take advantage of it, but you don't want to have to rely on that. You'd, You'd rather rely on the waiver wire to fill your holes. And obviously it's, it's not, there's not as much to the waiver wire, the deeper your league gets. Yeah, so for me, I care more about position scarcity. Chris has been the kind of guy who's like, there's no such thing as position scarcity except for catcher. And I'm not sure, I, I, I like it. I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting theory. I, I wouldn't go that far in a 14 team league or deeper. I do care more about position scarcity. And of course, category scarcity, if you're playing in a category or a roto's, or a roto league. Um, yeah, and I'll give you practical examples. I'm actually, we're doing a 14-team draft right now. It started yesterday. We're about three rounds into it. We've done 39 picks. So we're at the end of round three. Pick 12 of 14 in round three. I took Carlos Correa in round two. Well, first I took Corey Kluber, I think, in round one ahead of Bryce Harper because there's a three-outfielder league. So I took Kluber ahead of Harper. And in round two, I took Correa ahead of Joey Votto and Freddie Freeman. Because first base and outfield in this league are going to be the deepest positions. So I, I did prioritize the uh, the shallower positions, and I will continue to do that in deep leagues. And in the third round, I took Zach Ranke because I wanted two aces, and I wasn't going to get that second ace in the third in the uh, fourth round. It, he will not be available on the way back. So um, 
Yeah, position scarcity matters a lot more to me in deeper leagues. Chris, since you've been the guy who who says take the best player available more often than not, what do you think about that? I think you should take the best player available. And if there's like if it's a tiebreaker, go for it. Yeah, like I, I think that's fine. But first base is definitely the deepest, but you're also more likely to use you know, in this league I guess it's only two first basemen. Mm-hmm. But in a roto league potentially three and so all of a sudden the depth starts to run out once you consider that um i yeah i just i don't think i still even in a 14 team league you know we like the depth at second base we like the depth at shortstop we don't necessarily love the second tier at third base i'm not really sure i like the depth at shortstop i mean the second base yeah that was what we, I mean, there are guys at shortstop who will not be world beaters, but who we like. Guys like Orlando Arcia or Tim Anderson, guys that, oh, that think but, they're, they're yeah. not great, but they do things that are valuable in fantasy. Those guys might go 2020 this season. Uh, I'm also going to counter your approach, Adam, with a, a different point. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I'm going to give some thought to position scarcity. I thought the Kluber over Harper move made sense considering it's a three outfielder league. Um, but I feel like in shallower leagues, that's where I'm probably going to emphasize um, loading up at the thin positions more, where they actually exist. And I do think Carlos Correa is a big enough advantage over what the majority is going to have at shortstop in a 10-team league. Certainly Gary Sanchez at catcher. Because the... The, sh- the shallower your league gets, the harder it is to get an advantage anywhere. And if there are positions where you can get a clear advantage, even knowing it's it's riskier, and I do think Carlos Correa is riskier than most of those elite first basemen, certainly Gary Sanchez, like any catcher, is riskier than a hitter you could draft uh, some other position. But again, it's a shallow league, so there are, there are fallback options if things go wrong, and you just need to take advantage of where you can actually get an advantage. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's, I, yeah, I said something similar about Gary Sanchez yesterday. I agree with that, but I just want to make clear I didn't take Carlos Correa over Bryce Harper. I, I, it has to be close, kind of like what Chris says. It's a tiebreaker. I think that it's totally reasonable to take Correa over Joey Votto or Freddie Freeman, and I wouldn't necessarily do it in a 12-team league or a 10-team league, but I would do it in a 14-team league because I can. It's get, reasonable. Yeah, it's reasonable. Right? It has uh, to yeah, be. I mean, it has to be reasonable. They have to be very, very close in value, mm-hmm. and then I will favor position scarcity. Okay, so okay, we agree fair. on that, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. How about deep league uh, closers? Somebody sent us an email. Who are some? If you're in a deep league and you're looking to make some speculation on closers, who would you draft? AJ Minter's the number one guy. I, I, this is actually something I plan to write uh, to today, or at least start today. Um, the best non closers to own at, at relief pitcher. I'm still working on the headline, but I anyway, like it. <laughs> AJ Minter. <laughs> Uh, is number one for me because I think he eventually is going to be the Braves' closer. Um, he's better than Erodis Vizcaino, but he's hardly proven at the major league level, so they're going to ease him into that role. Like, the best reliever the system's developed since Craig Kimbrell. Like, he's, he looks like Billy Wagner when he pitches. He, he's going to be a good one. Um, uh, Texas still hasn't figured out what they want to do a closer, but they, they seem to have decided they don't want Alex Claudio in that role because they, uh, they like the versatility he offers in earlier innings. Um, so I guess to me that makes K- 
Keone Kella the front runner, but like he's not for sure the guy because he has durability issues. It wouldn't surprise me if the Rangers are ultimately the team that signs Greg Holland, but until that happens, um, there are a few speculative safe sources there. A couple others, Matt Bush, uh, maybe Jose Leclerc, maybe Jake Diekman. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a bullpen to look at. Um, for the Marlins, assuming Brad Ziegler becomes trade bait if he doesn't just get old and get bad. Well, which he was last year. Yeah, he was last year. Um, there are a couple guys there too. Kyle Bearclaw got some saves down the stretch last year. I also like Drew Steckenrider a lot. It's a potential save source. He had a big K per nine last year. Um, and then we still don't know what's going on in the Diamondbacks bullpen. Mm-hmm. Nope. And mm-hmm. and we don't know what's going on in the Angels yeah, bullpen. I have a hunch it's going to be Brad Boxberger. Like, there there's no they haven't tipped their hand at all, except in the past saying that they still like Archie Bradley as a starter long term. So that's kind of contributing to my thoughts on the matter. But Brad Boxberger was a clo- an all star closer once upon a time and had a nice bounce back year last year. So that's my hunch there. Okay. And uh, for the Angels, I guess I just get into it now. So Blake Parker has a 16-20 ERA. Camber Josian is a 4.76 ERA. They both struggled on Monday against Seattle. Their GM, Billy Epler, doesn't seem to care much about spring training stats, and this is what he said about Blake Parker. Quote, the velocity is there. We'll roll with that and what he did last year. Nothing there is sounding an alarm in my head yet. Okay. Yeah. I hope. I mean, I mean, neither one of those guys has like a – really long track record of success in the majors so it's not like you know we can just completely ignore any concerns but yeah i think that's generally the philosophy most people and teams should have that you shouldn't worry that much about spring training yeah and i would also point out that apart from that john Heyman going team by team and offering a few notes i haven't really seen any suggestion that cambit erosion is ahead of blake parker in that battle uh, but that being said, seems like the Angels are a team that could wind up with Greg Holland too, you know, and it could all be a moot point. And and that being said, draft Greg Holland. He's a good source of uh, a, a speculation. Yeah. If, if you're taking someone late, it just seems to the, make sense. The teams I've heard speculated are the Angels, the Rangers, and apparently the Braves have also checked in, which wouldn't be so great because that would end the A.J. Minter excitement, but... But he's like he's still going to get a job. I feel pretty confident in that. If we're, with a week a week out from the season started, will he be ready to go for opening day? I don't know. If, with short reliever, there's a chance. Um, but like I I feel pretty confident he's going to get 30 plus saves this year. All right, that's Greg Holland, and that makes uh, you know, what Scott said about the teams that have been connected to him makes you breathe a little bit easier if you own Sean Doolittle, if you own Brandon Morrow, uh, and other rumors that we heard earlier. So. Let's move on and see some, you know, we'll talk about Blake Snell, we'll talk about the Mets rotation, some other stuff, but let's talk about SeatGeek, people, because it's time to start going to games, all right? I can't wait to go go to some Yankees games when the season starts, got great concerts coming up, basketball playoffs, whatever you want to go to. Hey, March Madness out there, you want to save 20 bucks? We got a great offer for you. Just download the SeatGeek app, okay? Search for SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Our promo code is FANTASY. You get, you type in fantasy, you get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. And you're already getting discounts on seats because SeatGeek saves money and time by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and to find amazing deals. You're gonna get the most bang for your buck because SeatGeek grades every ticket 
based on value. So you can immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And I personally have used SeatGeek, I don't know, it's double digits by now. I mean, I've used it for basketball, for baseball, for football, for college sports, for concerts. I love see it's it's my go-to app. I use it all the time. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So again, what we want you to do, next time you need to go to an event, you download the SeatGeek app, you use the promo code FANTASY, get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. The promo code is FANTASY. So I was trying to go through Scott's Twitter feed yesterday to find out this whole controversy about cake and, you know, pie or whatever the heck he was riled up about. And I didn't see it, but I did see some interesting fantasy baseball stuff, which is more important, I'd say. <laughs> so I don't tweet that often. You're going to find it. I I think it must have been re- replies to people, and they weren't in your feed. I I don't. I still uh, don't know how Twitter works. <laughs> I could find it for you if you want. Yeah, eventually. A little little bit of a rant there. Look, okay. he was just mad because he doesn't think that quesadillas are a sandwich when they obviously are. No, they're not. They're not. A yes, sandwich. they are. Like, why can't we just accept sandwiches for what we've grown up to know sandwiches as? What, what you mean, you mean meat and cheese and vegetables inside of two pieces of, right, of flour Chris, based? Th- this is like, uh, receptacle with this which is the you end. eat them? This is the end of it. This is what I would say to you. Chris Towers, you own a restaurant. Name the restaurant, you know. The quesadilla sandwich restaurant. No, that's not what it's going to be called. You own a restaurant. The, the it serves, sandwich place. Serves everything. Where not we serve hot dogs and tacos. Right. This this was reply. This was wait. Hold on, hold on. I have to I have to ask this question to Chris so you can really think about this. You you serve quesadillas. You also serve like ham and cheese, tuna sandwiches, stuff like that. You have a section on your menu that says sandwiches. Are you really putting the quesadillas in that section? Are you really? I I've I fail to see why I wouldn't. (laughs) Because you'd put them in a you separate section. You haven't made a compelling argument for why a case. Because it's, I've never in my life. You just, you just keep saying it's not a sandwich you know, because it's I've not a sandwich. I've never you know seen quesadillas in the I actually have section. seen that once before. Oh, Scott, on a, come on. on a, at a place where there was there were no other Mexican offerings, uh, they, they did have a chicken quesadilla and it was listed among the sandwiches. It would uh, yeah, usually be in appetizers or something because people know yeah. not to put it in sandwiches. Yeah. All well. right. Tell me about your tweet in a second. Right. Let's talk baseball real quick. Um, Mets starting pitchers. Uh-huh. Steven Matz had a great start. People are very split on Matt Harvey. Which one of them would you rather take a flyer on? Uh, I think Harvey. I think Harvey um, because it's still like if there is genuine enthusiasm in Mets camp about the way he's pitching, and I, and I will, I you know, I'm happy to to say like looking at his game log this spring, there isn't a single start that you know. Makes me open my eyes wide. There's, there's not one that makes me like shake my head either. They're all just kind of fine. Uh, so I don't know, I don't know if the Mets enthusiasm is justified or if it's just a lot of PR, but they have, you know, the su- last year's superstar pitching coach as their manager and a pretty good pitching coach just as a pitching coach. And they both seem excited and he's twice been, you know, in the best pitcher in baseball conversation. So I'd, I'd go Harvey, but I am, I am now excited about Matt's. The way his last two starts have gone, most recently striking out nine and six innings Monday, uh, it seems like they figured out that um, he wasn't following through on his pitches. The bad habits developed as he was pitching through injury last year, and that's why he was getting shelled at the start of spring training. But I mean, we know he has really high ceiling himself, mm-hmm. so yeah. I would I would be calling him a sleeper today. Sure. My issue with Steven Matz is that we've never seen him pitch well in the majors without a slider. 
and uh, he's not throwing that slider. He stopped throwing it last year because uh, it was causing him elbow issues, and he got shelled. His other pitches don't really rate out as particularly good. Like his change of whiff rate is okay. His curveball whiff rate is really bad. And I just do. Do you know he's not throwing a slider yes. this spring? Yeah, I, okay, I haven't seen anything. I've looked. I've. I'm very interested. From having watched him, there were no sliders thrown that I saw against the Houston the other day. Uh, I've read multiple reports. None of them have mentioned a slider. So at this point, I I don't think he's throwing it. Maybe, maybe he is and nobody's talking about it, but it was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, The development of that slider was something that a lot of people talked about with him that I have a hard time believing that it wouldn't get mentioned at all. The great thing about both of these guys, Harvey and Matts, is that it's like your last pick that you're right. taking them. So there's really no downside. And, I mean, the way Matt's is closing out spring training, like, it seems worth it to me. Let's let's see where this is. Right, goes. and I, I'm much more skeptical of Harvey in particular, and probably both of them, than Scott is. But he's so cheap that I there's no downside. Okay. So that's Matt's, Matt's and Harvey. Blake Snell? Saw Scott uh, retweeting an article about Blake Snell, who had some personal issues last year. And if we say that Adrian Beltre is one of the best values in fantasy, I would say Blake Snell has to be right up there on that list, too. 208th overall. Higher than that on our website. I think he go. let's see, where are we? Uh, 175th, I think, with Blake Snell, something like that. But um, I just we all seem to really be very optimistic about him. I, his last start was great. He's had a nice spring. So, snell it up. Right? Snell yeah, he up. struck out nine in his last spring start, too, but it was like in four innings or something. It was, he's been, every start like that has been like that this spring, just striking out everybody in sight after showing improved control down the stretch last season. And he basically said, yeah, his head wasn't in baseball last year. And that's, you know, that's, that's not the kind of job you can halfway do, you know? Sure. And Gregory Polanco, what, what did you read about Gregory Polanco? Uh, I, I retweeted Jason Stark, um, just oh, right, right. talking about how he's had a great spring, and it, it's true, he has, uh, three home runs and seems to be making hard contact again, which two years ago was one of the, well, the first half of two years ago was one of the ways he was really standing out. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of upside there that I think has been largely forgotten because it's, been so long since we've seen Gregory Polanco actually play well, but he's pretty young still. And as, yeah, I mean, as a fourth outfielder, I, I think it's worth the investment. And something that kind of, you think about like stolen bases and you think, well, someone's heading in the heart of the order. Maybe they won't run as much, but this is a Pirates team that was letting Andrew McCutcheon steal 20 to 30 bases every year when he was batting, you know, second or third. Gregory Polanco is going to bat third, uh, it looks like, based on the way the spring training has gone. And that means there's going to be plenty of RBI opportunities. They should still let him run. I think there's 30-20 potential here. Between him and Tyler Glass now, like this is why I could see the Pirates actually being decent this year. I know everybody wants to write them off as the next 100-loss team. But I don't think they'll lose a hundred games. I I think they're just a they're a very high variance team. I could see them winning eighty five or seventy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know about them being over 500, but but even if they win like it's, 70, it's, 75 games, that would be fine for for their closing situation. Yeah, I mean, you could you could see the path to them being a, an above 500 team. Like the best case scenario for the middle of the order, the best case scenario for the top of the rotation. Right. Like they're the best case scenario is good for both, so you could see it. Okay, well, if Gregory Polanco does have a nice season, then you know I was just a year too early. <laughs> uh, would you take the uh, – they're going back-to-back. Would you take the relative safety of Adam Eaton or the big upside of Gregory Polanco? Eaton. Like, I don't know which of those is going too early and which is going too late. I think they're both going too late. Okay. Yeah, they're in the 40s in outfield. They're 150th overall. Yeah, I think they're both great values. And since I don't do sleepers, breakouts, and busts, in a points league, Adam Eaton, to me, is a sleeper. Because he's not going to have an amazing season, but that that is a guy who is a lot better in points leagues. He hits doubles, hits a lot of triples, and he should score a lot of runs and get a ton of at-bats. And play Before the his injury, he wasn't that different from Christian Yelich. Like a very similar player. Not a ton of power, maybe a little less than Yelich, but, you know, 10 to 15 homers, 20-ish steals, a ton of runs, a batting average. Yeah. He's a good player. Yeah. All right. So and batting leadoff. Scott, um, what's going on with you and Cake? What, the, what are you so fired up about? I don't know why, how Cake got thrown into this, but it basically, the uh, band Cake. Some, someone suggested to me, someone suggested to me on Twitter that, uh, you know, Cake is just bread, and I had enough at that point based on our <laughs> cereal is soup conversation on the podcast the other day. Like, why, why does every food have to fit into four different categories? So. I tweeted out, spaghetti is soup, guys. So is ice cream. Pizza, obviously a pie. Steak is steak, but so are pork chops, chicken thighs, and cod fillets. Not a burger, because that's a sandwich, just like a hot dog. All tacos are salads, but salads like potato and macaroni are also actually soup. See, here's, of here's, course, ridiculous. here's where you got it. You went wrong. <laughs> tacos are not salad. Why not? Tacos are a sandwich. Why not? It's, um, it's lettuce. I don't it's see veg- anything wrong with, I don't see anything it's wrong with anything else. Some you meat, said, you can have honest. meat on a salad. Um, yeah, everything else you said is perfectly reasonable and fine, uh, but tacos are a sandwich, not a salad. Uh-huh. Tacos are a sandwich, not a salad, but it's only one piece of bread for a taco, you know? So isn't it? I like mean, if a- it's a lettuceless taco, I don't even know why I'm in, I don't even know why I'm, you, you sucked me into this. Now I'm actually trying to defend it like it's legitimate. Yes, this is outstanding stuff. All right, we'll do news and notes in a little bit. We got a Twitter poll. I said if Mike Trout and Jose Altuve are off the board, who are you taking third overall in a Roto or Categories League? A, Trey Turner. B, Nolan Arenado. C, a starting pitcher. D, other. For whatever reason, the first time I did the the poll, none of the Nolan Arenado votes were counting. He was at 0%. So I redid (laughs) it. We have a much more accurate poll. I will tell you that in a second. Scott, sleepers, breakouts, busts. I wanted about four of each. Give me some sleepers, sir. About four of each. Well, you already told me that I, I'm not allowed to use Steven Matz because we talked about him. Uh, but I'm going to start with Glaber Torres, who I feel like, I feel like other than Ronald Acuna, we're not really getting excited about any of the other prospects who could be up very in there early in the year. And I think Torres is among them. Um, you know, it was kind of sad how the Yankees freed up two spots for him, trading Headley and, and Starlin Castro, and then kind of filled them uh, as spring training was getting started with 
with Brandon Drury and Neil Walker, but I think part of that was just they've always liked Drury as a potential super utility guy, and they've always and and the price tag for Neil Walker was just too good to ignore the way free agency dragged on. And you know he's come Torres coming back from Tommy John surgery. Let's give him let's give him a, a chance to make sure he's right. But this was a the guy they were gearing up to call up last June before he tore his UCL, and um, top shortstop prospect in baseball. A guy who I feel like is trending the same way Carlos Correa was leading up to his promotion and uh, could be a stud. Could be a stud as soon as he gets the call this year and a shortstop eligible. He won't be playing shortstop in the majors unless Didi Gregorius gets hurt, but he's shortstop eligible. Don't so. ever say Didi Gregorius gets hurt, ever. Uh, <laughs> all right. If he Torres. gets hurt, you may not miss him. No, oh, stop that. Glaber <laughs> Torres uh, is uh, one sleeper for Scott. Give me another, and then another, and another. Another um is is a guy we've we've talked about liking at him, Marco Estrada, who was great again in his spring start yesterday. And I don't know like I, I don't know why. I don't I don't know why everybody's just completely dismissive of him this year. Through May last year, I'm you know, I'm I'm not sure exactly the date, but roughly through May, first ten starts or so, he looked like a Cy Young candidate. He was Awesome. His strikeout rate was more than one per inning, and the whip was typically low. The ERA was, you know, right around three. And then it just fell apart on him in a way we haven't seen since earlier in his Milwaukee career, which, by the way, was also mostly very good. Um, but anyway, he discovered this offseason that his arm was visibly slowing down on his changeup, and the changeup is his make-or-break pitch. I mean, he throws 88 miles per hour on his fastball. He needs that changeup to be good. He was tipping it, and it, it totally makes sense. You see the way his season turned on a dime, um, and, you know, which of those two portions, the first 10 starts or what followed, were closer to the Estrada we've seen for the rest of his career? I would say the first 10 starts. Maybe he won't you know, be in the Cy Young conversation, but for costing nothing. I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a reliable option for you. I think kind of everyone in the Blue Jays rotation is a little undervalued right now. Like Yeah, yeah. Jay yeah. Happ is a pretty good pitcher with a pretty good track record at this point and he's another guy that just doesn't really get drafted much. Mm-hmm. And you know, Aaron Sanchez, Marco Marcus Stroman both have their own issues, but I think they're all kind of values. They're all kind of like Number low, like low and number two to low and number three pitchers in real life context. Mm-hmm. And that it's hard to get excited about that guy in fantasy, but I feel like where we are with pitching and, you know, the inning shortage, you know, I've, I've been harping on it all draft prep season. They just can't rely on guys to increase their innings the way they used to. Like that's. Certainly not in the case of Stroman and Estrada. Like, you know they're going to give you innings. So and that's valuable on its own. Glaber Torres, Marco Estrada, two sleepers. I have three or four pitchers, more than that, but these three pitchers who, uh, who I noted as good spring training stories so far. Lucas Giolito, he, he was great last time out, but strikeouts other than one outing haven't been great for him. Uh, Julio Tehran, who's got an 8.87 ERA, but 12 Ks and 20 and two thirds. And then Estrada. Spring training so far, one walk, 11 strikeouts, and 13 innings, 208 ERA. How would you rank those three, Giolito, Tehran, and Estrada? I would rank them Tehran, Giolito, Estrada, but they are all pitchers who I feel like aren't 
aren't being appreciated enough. Okay. Yeah, Giolito's been very impressive in spring training, and there was a Fangraphs article the other day noting that he's lowered his arm slot. Um, looks a little like James Paxton from the right side. Seems to be getting better velocity than he was late in his uh, call-up last year. Getting a ton of swing strikes. The curveball looks like it was supposed to, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big swing and miss pitch. So I'm starting to get really excited about Lucas Giolito. He looked. I was watching him yesterday. He looked really good. And Tehran, who's basically been untouchable this spring, as much as a pitcher with you know less than K per nine stuff can be. Um, he he worked to refine his arsenal this off season. His slider's always been his best pitch, but it wasn't quite up to snuff last season. So he worked on that, and he also developed a changeup that he plans to throw a lot more. So there's there's more weapons at his disposal. He's a and little, he didn't he didn't just rest on his laurels. He's a little poor man's Jeff Samarja e. Yeah, but that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Oh, well, not not given who's saying it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, Torres, Estrada, and more sleepers. Okay, so what about what about Jason Kipnis? Is that, is that too spring centric? And I understand, like, he homered six times early and hasn't much since then, but it's just kind of like, like, you look at Jason Kipnis's track record and he's very productive basically every year, except the two years where he was battling injury. There was an oblique in 2014. There was a hamstring that limited him to 90 games and put him on the DL a couple times last year. And one thing he said early this spring was that, like, when when you're injured like that and you're trying to play through injury, you spend so much time getting treatment that you're not able to do your normal pregame routines, your normal video work, your normal cage work. And maybe some guys, you know, it seems like it seems like some guys are better at playing through injuries than others. They just don't need that prep time. But Jason Kipnis apparently is somebody who does, and he's healthy right now. I mean, just two years ago, it's a forty double. Um. Nearly 20 homer, nearly 15 steal season. I mean, there's, it's particularly those middle infield leagues. He's somebody who, who uh, is definitely worth drafting late. Kipnis or Kinsler? I'll still say Kinsler, but I don't think, I don't think there's a lot separating them. All right. One more sleeper. How about Tanner Roark? Another pitcher there. Yep. He, and, he loves him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of it's, again, the innings. Very reliable innings pitcher with a great offense backing him in an environment where that in and of itself is, is just hard to find. But he was real, like really good in terms of ERA, in terms of whip, and obviously getting the wins when you do that and you pitch the innings he does for the Nationals uh, in 2014 and 2016. Last year wasn't, but it sounds like he had some mechanical issues. In 2015, he wasn't, but they were. That was the year they were jerking him around, like in the bullpen and the rotation, back and forth. So, like I, I feel like there are excuses to make for his bad seasons, and because because the good season happened twice over, I think it could happen again. Tanner Roark, Tanner Roark, or Marco Estrada. Roark. All right, so it's Torres, Estrada, Kipnis, and Roark. For Scott, but there are a lot more sleepers. You can see them on the website. Let's go to the breakouts. The breakouts are the most exciting. I love breakouts. I mean, you got to get some of these guys on your team. You got to have a little bit of Bregman or or Benintendi for Heath or, or Rafael Devers um, or some of the guys Scott's about to talk about. You got to get some breakouts. These guys are going to have better seasons than the sleepers. I think that's what separates them. Like sleepers and breakouts, they both have 
draft value. We think they're being drafted a little too late. But the breakouts are the ones that could have the much bigger seasons. So, Scott, who are some of your favorites? So this one's going to get Chris excited. Kevin Gosman, yeah, I think, is finally ready to turn the corner because the story with him was uh, always really good split-finger fastball, doesn't care to use it till midseason. And you look at his career splits, first half, second half, dramatic difference. I mean, last year was especially so, but throughout his career, it's that's been the case. Uh he decided to start throwing earlier this offseason because he wanted to have his full arsenal ready from the get-go. Imagine that. And he's been throwing a splitter this spring, been getting good results with it. I think uh, I think what we saw from him over his final, uh, let's see what it was. Well, from, just from the All-Star break. And I think if you narrow it down further, the numbers look even better. Oh, here it is. Okay, his his final 19 starts last year. That was when he first started throwing the splitter 25% of the time. Obviously, it wasn't always 25% of the time thereafter, but it was it was up. 339 ERA, 1-2-1 whip, 10.1 strikeouts per nine innings. Probably shocking looking at the overall numbers for Gosman last year. That tells you how bad he was before he started featuring the splitter. But in 19 starts, he did what looks like number two fantasy pitcher type numbers. Uh, that's that's reason to get excited. Cool. Kevin Gosman. You like it better than Roark? I do. Okay. Certainly has more upside. Right. Uh, give me another breakout, Scott White. Another breakout is a player who, I guess he's, he's kind of a post-type sleeper too. Um, expect him to get sent to the minors to begin the year, but had a really strong finish to spring training. And that's David Dahl. Yeah, he's starting to hit think, a little bit better too. In the yeah, minor, in the he, he had like an 0 for 19 start. I'm just pulling that number out of the blue, but it was something really bad like that. So the batting average is still down. The last three weeks or so, he's been great. And he's been, been running a lot too, which is, I think, an undervalued part of his skill set, particularly at a time when everybody's short on steals, or at least feels like they're short on steals. Obviously, Coors Field is his home. We saw what he could do as a hitter two years ago. Today, he's probably better than both Gerardo Parra and Ian Desmond, and it's just gonna take, it's just gonna take the Rockies realizing it, which I think will happen sooner than later. I think something that people don't really realize about David Dahl, he played 149 games at double A and stole 38 bases. Like you said, it's an unappreciated aspect of his skill set, but that's like way better than I think anybody gives him credit for. I think people maybe look at him as like a 15 to 20 steal guy. There could be 25 to 30 steal potential there. All right, two more breakouts, Scott White. Man, I wonder if I'm going to disagree with any of these and get into some fist fights over it. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I don't know. How about this one? Tyler Glass now. Uh, I mean, I can't really, he's going so late that I can't really disagree with it, but I'm just so afraid of walks. Uh, and boy, did he, he walked what, like seven batters per nine <laughs> last year in the majors? In but, the majors. Sure, he's, of yeah, course, he's a majors. sleeper. Of course, Tyler Glass now is a sleeper. In the minors, though. Really figured that out. I mean, he, he'd been a guy who had always walked 4.5 batters per nine in the minors. That was always an issue. Uh, but he got sent to the minors last year and in 13 starts there after getting sent down, 2.6 walks per nine. In his final seven starts, it was 1.8 walks per nine. He was a control artist. Uh, he's had an up and down spring, but when he's been on, the strikeouts have been through the roof as you'd expect. Um, he's, Talked, you know, that they're working with him on the best ways to attack hitters at that high level. And, and only recently, 
only in his last spring start was he um, trying to make hitters uncomfortable by going in, and uh, got good results with it. Like that, you'd think a guy with his you know 98 miles per hour, it actually looks harder because he's six foot eight and he has these long arms. Like you'd think a guy like that would have been busting guys inside from the get go, but he wasn't apparently. So that's that's something that could help him break out. I don't know that he's it's like with Dahl. I I don't know that he's going to have a job from the get go, but it's although it's not going to take long. He survived the first round of cuts. He did. So that's a good. He's sign. still in the mix. And even though he's had an up and down spring, like you said, eleven earned runs and twelve and a third innings, that's bad. Uh, officially, one star was awful. A lot of that was one seven star. runs in one star. Yeah. Um, only five walks in fifty eight batters faced. Even when he hasn't been good, the control has been fine. Yeah. So that's a very promising sign. That's important. I mean, like, I need to see it first from the from the poor control guys. But you know, because that's why I didn't buy into Blake Snell at the beginning of last year, and that's why I needed to see it from see it from Carlos Rodon, because it just takes them a while. But if Glassnell has shown it, except for in his how many innings last year? He had 62 innings with 44 walks last year yeah, in, the, he was in the majors. Off. You know, if he hasn't shown it, if he's shown it enough in the minors and in spring training that you guys are buying into it, then sure. This guy's got a lot of talent and, uh. It's, it's just, I think, totally within the spirit of breakout where this guy could go from being almost valueless to being one of the ten pitchers, best pitchers in baseball inning for inning. Yeah. Like there's, there's realistically that kind of potential for Glass. And I think you can say the same thing for Lucas Giolito and, it's important to remember, you know, Alex Reyes is considered the top pitching prospect in baseball still after coming back from Tommy John surgery. We're going to get excited about him whenever he does get his chance. It's another guy who had control issues in the minors. Okay. Oh, they just, they just don't care about the throwing strikes these days. One more. Blake, we'll do, Blake Snell, like. Yeah, exactly. Although Blake Snell actually didn't really have control issues in the minors. He just has in the majors. Oh, really? Right? That wasn't great in the minors. Hmm. I don't, it was, I don't know that it was as bad as Glass now, but it was like, I want to say it was a lot of like 3.8s per nine and. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a guy who's had a nice spring training in terms of control. You're right. Is Denelson Lamette, you know, and I don't, he's probably more a sleeper than a breakout, but, um, he's got a 338 ERA in spring, but three walks, 11 strikeouts and 10 and two thirds. And that's a big deal for Lamette. Yeah. He needs to cut down on the walks and so far well, he has. Yesterday was like his first, like, I think only his third official start. Yeah. And the only one of any real length. So we don't have a lot of data from him this spring, but apparently he's really trying to develop that third pitch. I think I was seeing on Twitter last night and there wasn't, I feel like these beat writers take off whenever their team plays a night game because there wasn't a lot of <laughs> stuff written even this morning about Lamette's start last night. But I feel like I was seeing on Twitter last night he was throwing a curveball. Yeah. He's, that's, that's the pitch he's working on right now is the curveball. Uh, he kind of, had a show me change up last season and they're just they're looking for something to get lefties out and it doesn't really matter which pitch it is the the fastball slider combination for him is as really good, good. It's, as good as anyone in baseball really yeah. in terms of the the results he generated last year but he had like a 300 point OPS split versus lefties and you know until he can fix that it's going to be a problem but if he can that's another guy who has top 20 upside so that's Denelson Lamette, and he, okay, struggles against lefties. He faced the Reds last night, had a great start, but did not face Joey Votto, so that helps. We'll do busts tomorrow since we're running out of time. So, Scott, give me one more breakout. Okay, this is going back to breakouts 1.0, but uh, I feel like it's worth getting into again based on the spring he's had. Nick Castellanos, 
I think is about to take a stud turn here. It may have already happened in the second half last year. His numbers then, 299 batting average, 16 home runs, 882 OPS over those final two and a half months. 16 home runs in two and a half months. That's that's impressive on its own. But what's what's great about that, the 299 batting average, the 882 OPS, 316 Babbitt. It was basically the same that it was in the first half. And with the quality of contact he was making, question Comerica Park or not. What we could, from what we can tell, it was some high quality contact, like Freddie Freeman level line drive rate and just crushing the ball. Totally by the increase in power too. Like if, if that much power from Castellanos yields that kind of batting average, I mean, he could be a top five third baseman. All right. Nick Castellanos. So sleepers were Torres, Estrada, Kipnis, and Roark. Breakouts, Gosman, Dahl, Glasnow, and Castellanos, and always more on the website, cbsports.com. We will do cbsports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, and we will do some busts tomorrow. News and notes. Well, first of all, the Twitter poll. Let's go back to that. If Mike Trout and Jose Altuve are off the board, who are you taking third overall in a Roto or Categories League? And Nolan Arenado is your winner in a landslide, 57%. Trey Turner, 25%. A starting pitcher, 8%. And other, 10%. So, you know what? Made me feel a little bit better about going with Arenado. I'm with the people. But I know yeah, you Yeah, I feel like, like the Turner. both of you put your fingers on the scale on this one. Because I saw you guys talking about, oh, the results aren't right. Nolan Arenado, blah, blah. You put oh, your finger I on the scale. I have Trey Turner. The results, I have Trey Turner the third results are Don't let me in there. skewed. I think the results may be skewed because the second poll was a response to everybody being like, why can't I vote for Arenado? Now, so, it, it, uh, the, the Arenado lovers came back in droves while everybody <laughs> who answered, responded to the first poll was like, eh, why bother? You're giving, uh, you're giving me way too much credit on Our Twitter. votes don't count. <laughs> All right, news and notes. Aaron Boone said he will rotate the DH uh, for the Yankees and that Giancarlo Stanton will DH quite a bit, which is nice because he gets cool. injured quite a bit. Justin Turner does not need surgery on his wrist. Does that? We know, still don't know what the timetable is, so it doesn't it it, it doesn't change my opinion on it because we, wrist injuries still they we, can we don't, ruin seasons. We don't know the timetable, but I feel like we kind of know the timetable because it's always pretty much the same for a broken bone. If there's no displacement, if there's no uh, surgery, if it's just immobilize it and wait four to six weeks. That's that's Did, like Freddie Freeman didn't standard. have surgery on his wrist, right? But he broke it in seven places. Like it was okay. a really bad, like it was a significantly worse break. It sounds like than Justin Turner. And I know I'm I'm only guessing too, but um, I was kind of surprised by the reaction I got. I, I hadn't seen what you'd written about Turner yet or heard it, Chris. Uh, but I was kind of surprised last night when I was like, you know, I'm I'm not really moving him down in my third base rankings. I moved him down in my top 300, but there was already such a big gap between him and Devers that. Like, I don't think it's going to be that much longer of a weight than Acuna, and we're not really downgrading him for the weight. Um, but that's, and I just got totally crushed for that on Twitter. Right, which but that's fine. Acuna, but. like, we think there are reasons for Acuna's rise that aren't necessarily tied to how good we think he is likely to be this season. It's all, it's all hype and upside, and Justin Turner doesn't have that hype. Well, but we, but we buy into that hype and upside, right? We want Acuna at his going rate. Do we not? I do. I don't. Okay. 
I do. Um, I think Justin Turner is going to be better than Acuna this year. Like, I, I think that, like, I could certainly see Acuna being better, but the odds favor Justin Turner being the better hitter of the two of them. I definitely think the version of Justin Turner that I thought we would get this season would be better than Ronald Acuna. I thought he was a value where he was going. I just really, really worry about guys coming back from wrist and hand injuries. We've seen that just completely derail seasons, even when guys are healthy enough to play. You know, okay, maybe seen, Freddie we've Freeman's... We've seen every form of injury derail Sure, but these I don't are, know that there's anything special about I, this one. I, I, I feel think, like most times a player gets plunked on the hands, he serves his time, he comes back, he's fine. There are a lot of examples of that not being true, and it, it might just be anecdotal, it might be, just be cherry-picking, but Freddie Freeman last year saying he felt like he was swinging a wet newspaper. He also had a 900 OPS after returning. Yeah, it was like an 860. Uh, 890 but, from the day he but returned. But that wasn't as good. Like, that was a... That was a step back from right. the level he established in 2016. But he was like a 1,200 OPS before Right, but though. I'm not even talking about the 1,200. I'm talking about okay. the level he established in 2016 after we saw that he broke out. We thought he was like a 1,000 OPS guy. George Springer was another guy, came back from a fractured wrist. He hit 300, but the power was completely gone. Ian Desmond last year, I know that was a hammock bone, but that's still in the wrist area. Giancarlo Stanton's 2016 season, I think, was completely ruined by the hammock bone fracture in 2015. It it can different take injuries, a full year it to can, come back from these. But a lot of times it doesn't. Like I, I feel Sometimes. like this is one of those situations where I've sat in this seat for so long and made so many cases for so many different things and obviously regretted some of them. Like this is one of those where I went through a stretch where I was like, oh, hand injuries are awful. And more often than not, I felt silly because the guy came back and he was fine. Like I, I don't have a lot of good examples of that. I just... Just the history of doing this podcast. Next up, Jose Abreu has a hamstring strain. Do we have to downgrade Jose Abreu right now? Not like right now. They're calling him day-to-day. I mean, all right. The problem with hamstring injuries is like day-to-day turns into week-to-week pretty quickly. I've I've seen some seasons wrecked by hamstring injuries before. Jason Kipnis last year. That's what I just said. Those hamstring injuries are bad. That is not what you just said. I just said what? day to day can turn into week. That to week. is completely like different injuries. than what Scott just said. Scott said it could work. Scott, but Scott was anyway. not actually arguing in good faith. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so I think we'll know more about this Abreu injury tomorrow. But if I'm drafting like right now, if he had uh, fractured his hamstring, I'd be worried. I'd be. <laughs> it's <laughs> seven be different bad. places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I were drafting right now, I'd be a little nervous. I guess. Uh, you know, like because he was just running to first base, right? I mean, that's uh, it's kind of scary. But uh, Baltimore signed Alex Cobb to a four-year, $60 million deal. Is he better than – would you rather have Marco Estrada, Tanner Roar, Kevin Gosman, Alex Cobb? Where does he fit in with the guys we've talked about? Probably towards the back of that group. He doesn't have the safety of some of the safe guys. He doesn't have the upside of Kevin Gosman. So it's just kind of like, all right. Like The issue last year, he didn't have the, the feel for the changeup, right? And that was kind of hindering him all year as he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's not he's not safe given the injury history and the the ballpark he plays in and the division he plays in. Mm-hmm. And I I'm mean, not sure he has like a huge upside. Yeah, I feel like he's closer to the Lynn range and not as safe as Lynn. I feel like. Also, okay. there's reports he's going to begin the year in the minors to get up to speed. That's Alex Cobb, who had a 2.46 ERA at home last year, 4.72 on the road, and now he's in a much worse ballpark. Alex Cobb, Michael Conforto played center field in a minor league game, and he's making good progress. And Yoenis Cespedes is back in the Mets lineup. 
Luke Gregerson is back, potential uh, probable closer, I guess, for the Cardinals. He hasn't allowed a hit. He's only pitched in three innings this spring. But uh, do you think Gregerson opens the year as the Cardinals closer? That's still my guess. Yeah, that the Mazelic quote where people kind of felt like maybe the Cardinals were leaning in Dominic Leone's direction began with because Gregerson's injured, right? When asked who would be the closer if the season started today. Like, obviously, this is a lot of making, like, really reading between the lines here. Right. But I feel like what he was saying was, well, Gregerson is injured today, so obviously he couldn't be our closer today. Matt Carpenter did play third base yesterday, so that's good to see. The Marlins uh, starting pitcher Dan Straley has forearm tightness. Was Dan Straley <laughs> on your – well, he's probably an NL only oh guy, God. but he was having a good spring, I think. And stream everyone when they have a series against the Marlins. <laughs> their their starting rotation looks like it's going to be Jose Arena, Justin Nicolino, Ostrasamer Despagne, and oh Eliezer Hernandez. You have been just butchering names here. And it's terrific. Odrisamer Despagne. And I'm pretty sure yeah. it's Urena. Or it might be Urena. I thought it was Arena. I don't think is I don't think there's a tilde there. Either way. Dan Straley, noted strikeout artist Dan Straley, leads this bunch in career K per nine with 7.8. <laughs> okay. Nobody else is within two strikeouts per nine of him. They're bad. It's going to be amazing. MLB.com shows an Inye over the end for I, They Arrhenia. never said it. They never said it on the broadcast. It was always Maybe, maybe they're all saying it wrong, okay? Maybe. Urban Santana's timetable was closer to 12, week, 12 weeks from the injury rather than two weeks from when he got hurt. Rather than 10 weeks, excuse me. So pushing back a little bit. Uh, JT Realmuto confident about being ready for opening day despite a bruised back. So that's good news for the Marlins. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Brantley will make his Cactus League debut today. Uh, there was a note on Joey Gallo that I saw Chris talking about on Twitter about his new approach with two strikes, and he's not striking out as much in spring, right, Joey Gallo? Yeah, he has only struck out nine times in 45 plate appearances, which we can write off as small sample size, except his best stretch last season was 11 strikeouts in 45 stri- uh, plate appearances. And it's it's not to say Joey Gallo is not going to strike out. He's going to strike out a buttload. But if he can just be like the fifth worst strikeout hitter in baseball instead of the worst, then you're talking about a 32% strikeout rate, and then it's a lot easier to see him hitting 240 with, you know, a ton, a ton of upside. I wrote about it on CBSSports.com yesterday. Where? If you CBSSports.com slash <laughs> oh, okay. fantasy slash baseball. Uh, if you just project him out to 650 plate appearances last season, just what he did, you're talking about 50 homers and like 190 combined, run, combined runs in RBI and 10 stolen bases. Okay, and then uh, the Nationals sent Victor Robles to the minors. Tomorrow we'll talk more about good and bad spring training, but I think, you know, the, the, the Angels bullpen note was interesting. Uh, we've talked about Giolito, Tehran, Estrada, and Lamette. Joey Votto's having a terrible spring, but don't worry. He has as many walks as strikeouts. He had a terrible spring last year. I think we really got to talk about Robbie Ray. Five walks yesterday, and just a very interesting player. So when Heath gets back tomorrow, we'll let Scott and Heath Get mad at each other over Robbie Ray. Gotta talk about Miguel Sano. Not again. Gotta talk about Miguel Sano. He was on Heath's bus list. He's having a great spring. We still don't know about the suspension. And Austin Barnes is, uh, Austin Barnes is having a terrible spring. Yeah, Monty Grandal is having a great spring. So that's interesting. So that'll be tomorrow. Uh, let's finish with some emails from Michael. Who's a better sleeper in an NL only or a deep league? Lewis Brinson or Matt Kemp? Brinson. Brinson, obviously. All right, from Kevin, or Kev. 
I know of Robles and Acuna. Are there any other prospects that will start day one in AAA because of service time and get like a May call up that I should consider drafting? Scott, well, have funny, you have you written anything about this? Funny you should ask that. It was it was going to uh, it was going to go up yesterday, but there was some family stuff published. I was dealing with. Oh, it is up now. Yeah. All right, great. Um, the ten prospects. Apart from Acuna, the, the 10 prospects most were stashing in fantasy baseball, and obviously timetable's a big part of that. We don't know exactly when any of these guys are coming up, but guys like um, Austin Hayes, who is the favorite for right field, uh, Ryan McMahon, Glaber Torres, who I mentioned earlier, you could see it happening sooner than later. They're, they're just, they are just, there are just placeholders there in those spots right now. Even even Victor Robles, who you just mentioned, I feel like Michael Taylor is basically a placeholder who performed over his head last year and uh, probably won't happen again. Next email is actually a tweet from Joey. Should Jose Reyes be ranked higher? 24 steals and 15 homers last year. Great spring so far. Should Jose Reyes be ranked higher? I have drafted Jose Reyes like three or four times already, and I never feel great about it, but it's always like, well, I need a little bit of speed or I need a utility guy. And, you know, he's not going to play every day. But, yeah, he's probably going to steal 20 bases by the end of the season. What's the shallowest league you've drafted him in? Oh, probably it's mostly been 15-team leagues yeah. that I've drafted him in. But Yeah, I like him there. Yeah. 12-team doesn't seem worth it. Doesn't seem necessary, first of all, because, you know, like if he was to find his way into every day at bats, he'd be out there. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I feel like he's been an underrated option the last two years. More more power in this environment than he even had in his prime. Jose Reyes. All right, th- this is Chris in New York. I can keep two of the following. Who is the odd man out? Francis Martez, Matt Manning, or Hunter Green? Prospects question. Yeah. Are the Astros going to trade Matt Manning or uh, Francis Martez? No, he doesn't really. But he will, right? Like, no. you don't think he's going to get bumped as as highly regarded as he is getting bumped to the bullpen. I mean, maybe they'll trade him. Yeah, he was kind of thought of as a bullpen guy, though, maybe. They're all good, first of all. Martez is closer, probably doesn't have yeah. any, like, Martez is closer. Ceiling. Green has the biggest ceiling, so I think Manning's the odd man out. Email from Don. Dear Michael, Santino, Frederico, and Tom. Are those, like, Godfather uh, names? Yes, they are. Uh, they're, yeah. they're Corleones, I believe. Something, or they're, they're God, it's Godfather. I got a sleeper for you. Marco Gonzalez with Seattle. He's not being mentioned at all. Ever. Anywhere. Hey. Hey. He was just in the latest spring takeaway. Hey. He's, he gets mentioned every blue moon. He is someone, I think, who added some velocity last season after the trade to Seattle. Um, might have lowered his arm slot, actually, I think. Um, so he's, Minor league numbers are very good. He was kind of a fringy pro, uh, prospect. He had a really good showing for the Cardinals in 2014 and then a slew of arm, arm problems after that. So I think the biggest thing is just that he's healthy. I don't think he has like a Stephen Matz type ceiling or anything like that. But, um, you know, he could be, he could be solid, a solid like number four in real life number. I don't know. I could see him being like a number seven or eight in fantasy potentially. All right, and Gary Schaefer from Oswego, Illinois, says, I have a good suggestion for getting rid of the antiquated Mendoza, Mendoza line. Actually, now we call it the Mad Dozier line. Would be to say that the player is hitting in the gallows. 
in reference to, obviously, third baseman for the Texas Rangers, Joey Gallo, who hits around the Mendoza line, or in the Gallows, yes. Can I can I just point something out about the uh, Mad Dozier line? We all believe Anthony Rizzo is well north of the Mad Dozier line, right? In terms of draft quality in the first 30 picks, yes. Not, uh, not the actual Mendoza line, yes. Would you like <laughs> to know who of Brian Dozier and Anthony Rizzo outperformed the other one in Roto each of the last two seasons before taking into account I, position scarcity? I He's been top been 15. It's, it's, it's Dozier. It's Dozier both times. Yeah. Uh, so just just wanted to point that out, and that's that's kind of I failed to bring that up in the Anthony Rizzo second base discussion we had the other day, that, like, we we might move Anthony Rizzo up a lot if he's second base eligible, but... Brian Dozier actually does play second base and doesn't seem to get that. And I, I get that the batting average and he doesn't, he appears risky because he's a late breakout, but like, this is three years. Well, I mean, like five years of him being a very good fantasy player. Yeah. I, I just, just yeah. wanted to give Brian Dozier oh. some love since we've, we have given him. He's on the, the right side of the, the Dozier namesake line, of the meh. Yeah. Line. The guy's <laughs> he's on the awesome. right side. The guy's been a top 15 hitter he's two the, years. He's in the cutoff. He's the cutoff. Yeah, but he's probably a little undervalued. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. We're done for today. Back tomorrow. Helping you get ready for your drafts. Announcing podcast leaguers probably. See you then. <laughs>